0: My friends, Greg Kogel here. Stand to Reason is the show, and I'm feeling a bit crazy today. It seems like every time you turn around, some lunatic thing is happening that defies common sense, especially if you're in touch with reality. It may sound like it's a self-serving comment, but I think that's the case when you're a Christian. That is, you see the world the way it actually is. That does mean every Christian gets everything right, obviously, and certainly I don't, you know. Uh, everybody makes mistakes. But insofar as it as the broad picture is the take on reality, Christianity is the story of reality. And I say that not just because that's my own personal convictions, but it's the other way around. It is my personal conviction convictions because I, I I'm convinced it reflects reality accurately. And by the way, a big part of that is not so difficult. Because when you look at the Christian worldview, the broad claims it makes about the nature of reality, the world, God's existence, the world that he made, human beings the way they are as described by the Scripture, you don't need the Bible to figure that out. That's Lots of of that is just what theologians call natural theology, but I digress because that's not what I'm talking about here today. Good news, bad news, I have for you. Let's start with the good news. It's because of the bad news that I feel a little bit crazy right now and a number of things happening in culture. I won't be able to get to everything, obviously, but good news is uh, this last weekend, got in yesterday from Denver, Colorado. I'll be actually getting on a plane tomorrow to go back because uh, on Thursday, I will be at Focus on the Family uh, recording two shows uh, relative to or about the new book coming out in June and those shows will be released on the same t- right when the book is released there mid to late June the book being Street Smarts so I'm on the plane back there uh, to get my <laughs> rental car drive down to Colorado Springs uh, for my interview on Thursday but uh and I'm going to hang out with some of my friends over at uh, Summit Ministries tomorrow evening but um when I was there just this last weekend I spoke at a church in Littleton, Colorado, and spoke in the morning about being a good ambassador and in the evening about tactics, and the night before, that would be Saturday when I flew in, I was picked up by David, the pastor. He's the discipleship pastor, fabulous guy, I had a great time with him. Also a person well acquainted with tactics, which is what I taught on Sunday evening to a great crowd of people, fabulous and uh, there we are, eating dinner at the Lazy Dog. Some of you know what the Lazy Dog is. Restaurant, there's lots of them around. We have one close by us at our home. Kind of like that place. And uh, making small talk with the waiter, whose name is Colby. And uh, interacting as uh, as is our style, both of us. I mean, we like being friendly, but it's also an important part of the tactical game plan. That is your your... Trying to create, or let me just back up for a minute. I, I'm not saying this the way I want to say this. It isn't part of the tactical game plan. It's part of being a Christian. It's part of being an ambassador for Christ. Okay, with a with a with a accurately informed mind, an artful method, and an attractive manner. So the attractive manner starts whenever you meet somebody. And in fact, that's what I've been teaching on that. Sunday morning, about being an ambassador for Christ. Attractive manner. So here we are being friendly with the waiter, trying not to make his job too hard, asking about some things about himself, just carrying on. So we have a nice atmosphere, a friendly atmosphere um, that's already set in place. And then David, the discipleship pastor, who's probably, I think he said 29, 30, something right in there, he, he, he says to our waiter, whose name is Colby. We learn his name, makes it friendly, nice to chat, easy if you need something. Hey, Colby! I said, hey, you. And he says to Colby, I don't know what your spirituality is like, but do you have a, a church that you go to? Just like that, very casual. Here's what Colby said. Now, if some of you might be thinking, well, that's kind of bold. Well, David did take the initiative, but it was not bold in the sense of being abrupt or harsh or, what are you asking me about that for? There was nothing like that because the atmosphere that had been created through our warm interaction um, was warm. And now it was a question about his spirituality, but that's the way David introduced it. Just a simple question. And this is my point. I'll get to the answer in a moment, but the point I'm making is it was just A simple question. That's Colombo. That's leading with a question, and when you lead with just a question, especially in a warm, accepting environment, you don't know what's going to happen next. It may no go nowhere. It may go everywhere. You have no idea. But it doesn't go anywhere probably if you don't take the first step forward. And that's what I was saying, saying during our staff meeting today with our team as I was talking about this particular issue. Part of my point was just to ask the question. In other words, just step out and probe a little bit in a friendly way and see what happens. Maybe nothing, maybe something. Who knows? We don't. That's the point. Another way of putting it, it has a little different application. But if you don't ask, the answer is no, Right. So if there's a possibility you might do this, that, or get whatever, you know, if you don't ask, the answer is no. In a similar way, if you don't ask, then you're probably not going to go anywhere productively, spiritually, in a conversation with a person, unless you take a little bit of initiative. Now, the initiative is critical, but the way to do that safely, as I've always said, is to use a question, and this is exactly what David did so smoothly and Colby said, when he asked him, not sure about your spirituality or where you're at, but uh, do you have a church that you go to? Colby said, I'm going to take that as a sign because for the last four weeks, every Saturday night, I have had someone in my service area that I was waiting on who was a Christian who asked me about church. That's like an OMG moment, right? So something is going on with Colby, and the something that's going on is something that God is doing. But that is something that David, the pastor, didn't know anything about, and without realizing it, in a certain sense, played right directly into the thing that God was doing in Colby's life. Now, I don't know where this is going to go. Colby couldn't go to church the next day, which was the day I was preaching, because he had prior commitments, but he gave David a slip of paper, and David wrote all the address, information, service times, whatever, and his own email. And he said, Colby, if you ever want to like have coffee or something like that, the, here, just give me a call. Send me a note. No pressure. I think he put his phone number on there, too. But then he said, "No pressure," because there was no pressure about anything about that in, that it, that circumstance. It certainly wasn't a pressure question, but it could have been simply dismissed by Colby. But it wasn't because something else was going on. God was poking at Colby, and what David did was just a little more gardening where other people have already been gardening. Now I actually shared this anecdote that Sunday evening, the day later, when I'm talking about tactics, just to encourage people to do what I've just suggested to you. Just ask the question. Take the first step. And then I told him, and by the way, you might want to go down to Lazy Dog and then ask for Colby as a waiter and then invite him to church and drive him crazy. (laughs) Anyway, that's good news. It's good news that... uh, that I spent this time with David. David has taken the tactical game plan, and it's part of his life. He did it smoothly and started it off, and then also landed right in the middle of something clearly God is doing, as Colby has been confronted now five weeks in a row with something about Christianity. Not confronted in a harsh way, but it's just there. Boom, boom, boom. And finally, Colby's saying, I think something's going on. I'm going to take that as a sign. All right. Now, having said that, I'm just looking at the calls now. We got a bunch of calls flashing at me here. And the the next thing I have to say is a little bit more lengthy. So, Amy, why don't I take some calls and maybe next hour I'll pick up with this. That means the bad news, so to speak, um, that I want to talk about I will save for the next show. And that will be the show you get on Friday if you get this one on Wednesday. Okay. Oh, incidentally, before I forget, Wednesday, tomorrow will be the second Wednesday of each month. That means that uh, John Noyes' podcast will be at noon tomorrow, LA time. Okay. So that's February 8th, 12 p.m. PT. That's noon. And he'll be live on Facebook and Twitter and YouTube. And uh, just go scroll down to the bottom of our homepage, str.org, and you can find the links there. I don't know what he's going to be talking about uh, tomorrow, but uh, he usually covers something that's right there front and center happening. And also on Saturday, I just... Don't want to forget this next show. If I do, I'll give you a couple days warning. I'm going to be at the Desert Apologetics Conference in Palm Springs, uh, California. It starts on Friday, February nine. It goes through Saturday. It's Saturday afternoon. I'll be speaking. So, but you can catch the whole thing. This is one of Craig Hazen, Biola Enterprise. These are fabulous. I don't know who else is on the on the docket though. I don't. But I. I, I mean, it's, if it's like pastimes, a whole bunch of great people. So uh, check that out. It's uh, called Desert Apologetics Conference, Palm Springs, California. Okay. And, uh, okay, I got some more stuff I'll tell you later. But let's go to our callers right now. And in Arizona, Michael. Hello, Mike. Michael, Mike. Hi. Welcome to the show.
1: Hi, Greg. How you doing?
0: Good. Good. I mean, by the way, um, where in Arizona are you, Michael?
1: I'm um, in Surprise, Arizona. In where? Surprise. It's uh, west of the city, uh, kind of towards the north,
0: northwest. Okay, I didn't get that it, it totally, but never. it's a smaller town. But I just want to let you know, I'm going to actually be in Tucson March 7. That's a Tuesday. March 7th? Yeah, it's like three weeks from today, I guess. I'll be at the Calvary Chapel there in Tucson. So I know that's way south <laughs> in the state. I don't know if it's within <clears throat> striking distance of you, just saying.
1: Rats. I'm in Death Valley that day. Uh, but good to know. Um, My question is, how would you tactfully respond to someone who claims they are owed uh, reparations for slavery in the past? I asked this because I saw something on PragerU's channel that Disney just released a cartoon episode telling kids that America was founded on slave labor and reparations are owed. And I was shocked. I watched the video of it they had on their channel, and it was disturbing and i realize this is going to come up more and more so yeah it now.
0: is and there are there are, this is a and to some degree just a little bit out of my uh my 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 uh, my depth because i don't deal with this so much i do know was it kevin de young amy kevin de young on gospel coalition i have this piece that he, I'll, I'll i'll respond to you but a, a a really well done piece was written by kevin DeYoung, de young d e do you have a bird in the background? It sounds like a bird. Yeah,
2: so, you sorry do about have that a bird.
0: Oh, yeah, <laughs> it's just a fairies. joke. Okay, they
1: were quiet for a while and then they started to talk.
0: Um, it's a blog, uh, Kevin DeYoung, D E Y O U N G. It's the Gospel Coalition, and it's titled "Reparations: A Critical Theological Review." Now, Kevin DeYoung is one of my go-to people. I've had him on the show here before, but if if I want a somebody who is does an even-handed, fair-minded, theologically sound treatment of any topic, I can always trust Kevin DeYoung. And so uh doesn't mean I, I'm gonna agree with everything, but usually I do, um, because of those qualities that I just described. So you will get some a more thoroughgoing answer, okay, um, than than what I'm going to give you. Okay. So um the quest, the the, it says in Proverbs. Now I'm thinking about it. it says, do not hold, withhold that which, t- t- which to which some which someone is due, if it's in your power to do it. It's in Proverbs three, something to do, something like that. Reparations, though, are meant to repair something and give to something someone something that is due. To them, so I, I'm not going to give you a definitive answer here on this, but I'm I'm just thinking through this out loud for myself. I have thought about it. I think it's a bad idea, but I want to express some of the reasons why. And um, wh- what what is it, and who is it? No, my name Who is it that will get the reparation? That will get get some type of um, remuneration. Of course, it's always money. You know that some type of money or even let me just back up and just say get get something of value to repair or to pay back something that is owed all right to give something of value to repay or pay back something that is owed all right so what what exactly i'd want somebody to tell me exactly what that is now i know very broadly what's in view here. America participated in a slavery system, and blacks, African blacks, were the slaves. And that was a terrible system, which I agree with. And therefore, something now is due to those who descended from those slaves, presumably. Now, it's not entirely clear it might be that someone is saying, and this is where people have to really spell this all out when they make this um, appeal, is it might be, well, the reparation is not just to those who are here because they're, they are descendants of slaves, but the slavery system set up a system that is unfair to all blacks, and blacks have all suffered and therefore, because of that, they need to be uh, reparated. They need to be um, compensated. All right. So, so the the real their part of the question is who gets compensated. We know broadly why, but specifically, um, it's not entirely clear to me. And by the way, who is it that does the compensation? Usually, when you have a compensation that is done, you have an individual who is a injured party and the injury to that person is clear. and the one who makes reparation is the individual who injured that party and gives something to to um, satisfy that obligation of reparation. all right so what so I, I want all that's all like formal right I want the material details. Who gets what from what what person, and why does that person who gets it from the other person deserve getting it, and why does the other person responsible for giving it? All those questions have to be answered. And and by the way, when someone raises the question of whether reparations, in any sense that are being characterized, are appropriate, that doesn't mean the person raising the question— Is trying to whitewash, so to speak, American history, or is somehow racist. But this is the way those who say, wait a minute, let's take a closer look, are often characterized. Okay? The question is what is just and appropriate given an ancient circumstance? Ancient, when I say, I mean, for Americans, it's ancient. Um, the Civil War or the Emancipation was uh, 1863 after the Battle of Antietam. And then the amendment of the Constitution passed just before Lincoln was shot. So, 65. So, I mean, so we've got, you know, a hundred and some years. And that's ancient in American history. But anyway, well, this circumstance, and there's no question that there, there is a ripple effect down the line. But, but the, 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 there, there's no question that, that other people are influenced, but there is a big question as to how much they are influenced, all right? And so this is part of the political football that's being tossed around. Now, m- mostly I'm asking questions here, okay? But I, I want to th- throw some things out on the table for consideration. And these are things that have been said before that seem to be just dismissed like, oh, oh, like, oh, that's stupid or something like that. okay, So let's just let's just talk about some of the price that America has paid for slavery. Uh, one price is the Civil War. And I actually don't know the numbers, but virtually everyone who died in the Civil War was an American. And it was the Union that won, And the president of the union that secured the liberty of the slaves uh, constitutionally. Now that was a big price to pay. In fact, Lincoln understood the bloodshed to be the price we were paying for the sin of slavery. Okay, so that's I mean, let's just put that on the table. That's a price that that's that's a price that was paid to right a wrong. Okay. Now, we're further wrong. Yes, we had... Was there racism? and Yes. Were there civil rights abuses? Jim Crow laws? Yes. Okay, so these are all... But there are other things that are going on. Who is, who is receiving the reparations? Is it just people with dark skin? Does somebody have to show that their ancestor was a, uh, a slave? Um, if they have dark skin, does that does that prove that they were somehow victimized by the system? Um, Does, does do paying reparations have any other consequence that's negative, like maybe increasing hostility between the races rather than decreasing the hostility? That's a question that needs to be answered. Here's another one that I, you know, I never heard anybody mention this, but I think it's a fair thing to mention. And all I'm saying is these are all pieces on the table that have to be taken into consideration if someone is going to decide that reparations, whatever that is, is an action that is just and good. Because the question could be asked, any individual who is a descendant of, slave, of slaves, that is, they are here in America because of a terrible crime that had been committed against the one of their ancestors, or both of them, which I acknowledge it's a terrible crime. But what is the status of that individual now as compared to what their status would have been if their parents had remained where they were at in freedom in the countries that they were taken from? Well, they'd be citizens of a different country, an African country. Okay, so then the question I'm asking here, and this is not any kind of justification for any wrong done, but I'm just asking, if there's a reparation and something's going to be repaired because a person nowadays is suffering in a way that is a result of their parents being enslaved, well then, wouldn't it make sense to try to compare those two sets of circumstances? the circumstance that they're in now and the circumstance that they would have been in if this had not happened to their ancestors. Now, I think it's pretty obvious that they're in a lot better position now than they would have been, and 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 they own a citizenship in a country that is probably the most desired citizenship of any country in the world. Now, again, this doesn't justify what happened to their Their ancestors, but it seems to me that crazy thing, right? A hundred years plus later, hundred forty years later, whatever, fifty years later. um, My math's not good. Those people that are descendants of slaves are actually in a whole lot better position than they would have been if their parents, their ancestors, had not been kidnapped. So I'm just not sure, and all this is to say—this isn't to whitewash even at the present moment—incidents or circumstances of racism, but it's all to say, what is the just and appropriate response of the American people now in light of crimes of the past? And my general feeling is— I don't know how to fix all of that stuff I just described. I don't even know how to quantify all of that. I actually don't think reparations are a good idea because I don't know if they're, if they're morally required. I don't know if the people who would get reparations deserve reparations, in the sense that they are somehow been deeply harmed by something that happened to their ancestors. And I don't think the people that are alive today are somehow responsible to pay reparations for something that maybe some of their ancestors had been involved with. Those are all—this is all the craziness that's involved with this idea. Mm -hmm. And I actually think that enforcing reparations is going to do more harm than any good. It just like every time in the past you give somebody something for free, it corrupts them. That's a general rule. In fact, there was a book that was written called, titled, I think it was titled White Guilt, and it was written by a black man. And this is what he was arguing. He's a conservative, and he's just pointing this out. This doesn't help people. It just in, continues to encourage a victim mentality. It gives people something that they didn't don't really deserve, they didn't earn, is not owed them, and it's taken from others who don't, don't owe them. And it just makes bitterness on the other side. Now, So I think there are issues, obviously, to deal with regarding race relations. Um, But I do not think, just sharing. I'm sharing really as a citizen. The only reason as a Christian, the only element of being Christian here is whether this is just. And I don't think it is. I don't see how you're going to get justice out of this. And so therefore I'm, you know, I'm not in favor of reparations. I I just don't see it working in a, a good, wholesome, just, fashion. I think it's a wrong understanding of how reality works. Now, I don't know how you're going to put that into a nutshell, so to speak, uh, for somebody. Uh, I mean, good luck with that. And I yes. think this is the very first time that I have spoken about this on the air. And I, I actually think it, it's really going to be easy for some people to read my comments uncharitably. I hope they don't. Mm-hmm. But I'm asking a question about justice and uh, and who gets paid and what they get paid. And by the way, there, there's been a lot of reparations that have already been made of different sorts. And, uh, and, and so I'm just asking the question, um, you know, who gets the benefit and who is it taken from? And it, does this all amount to something that is good and just and appropriate? And so far, I don't see it at all. But uh, those who disagree, I think, are going to pigeonhole me with. It. They're going to. They're going to reflect on my. They're going to take that as a reflection on my character, and I, I don't. You know, I think it's fair, but it may happen. That make any sense?
1: Yeah, that does. And I know it's a very touchy subject. depending on the person I talk to, yeah. it's just I also realize in my work office, this is probably something that's going to come up. That's why I. Uh, when I saw this video, I'm like, "Oh, great! This is going to come up more yeah. probably." Yeah. So.
0: Well, you, well, you might just ask, and to stay stay safe, um, and also to get more informed about what other people are thinking, ask the question. When you say reparations, what exactly do you have in mind? Okay. Secondly, when you say people reparations should be paid, who should reparations be paid to? I mean you, these things have to be concrete; they can't just be in general well who gets who gets the reparation, whatever you think they should get monetary reparations or any other kind, like preferential treatment in you know in in school admissions or things like that, who should get that, and why should they get very specifically why should they get that now you don't have to get into an argument about whether it's right or not for those people to get it, or whether, you know, you just just ask the question at this point to get more clarity on exactly what they have in mind, and uh, just, just be a student of their view. And I think part of the problem here is that because there's a kind of an emotional animus about this, and it's stoked by the press and a whole bunch of other things, that it's easy to just say something like, reparations. And and leave it at that, and then feel good about demanding reparations without asking, okay, what exactly does that look like? Why reparation? What is a reparation? Who pays it and who gets it? And why, mm-hmm. why, why for each one of them. And it not to be starting trouble just to get just for clarity's sake. That's what I would suggest that you do. Okay. Alrighty. Well,
1: all righty., thank you very much. Okay, Give me Michael.
0: Yeah, I appreciate the call, and that's a—oh, my goodness. I I, I honestly uh, it was a little nervous taking the call, but I hope you all understand my spirit, and um, I'd like to hear all those questions answered, and I don't think they can be answered adequately to justify whatever it is that people say ought to be done because I've run through a number of scenarios in my mind. And uh, none of that seems to pan out, and I certainly don't feel that there is any any requirement for me as a Christian to support the notion. Okay, um, But I, I recommend that you check out Kevin DeYoung's article on that, because he covers a lot of ground, as a very conscientious Christian pastor-theologian. All right, let's take a break, and
2: we'll come back to your calls on Stand to Reason. What If I'm Wrong? Have you ever asked yourself that question? There are times when we feel confident about our convictions, but there are other times, if we're being honest, when we encounter doubts that leave us wondering if we got it all wrong. This has caused many to deconstruct their faith. If you can't give a why to your faith, you won't be able to give a why not to your doubts. In other words, if you don't have a Christianity anchored in what's true, you will always be at the mercy of your doubts. That's why we're excited to announce this year's Reality Conference. Our theme is Seek and You Will Find. We will equip students to navigate their doubts by seeking answers to their toughest questions. Because when you seek answers, you find truth. It's time to examine the foundations of our faith. Because a strong faith requires a strong foundation. Join us at one of this year's Reality Student Apologetics Conferences. For more information, visit realityapologetics.com.
3: As a high school teacher, I always had a red pen close at hand. When I wasn't in front of my students teaching a lesson, you could find me assessing assignments, grading essays, and evaluating exams. The red pen played a crucial role in the educational development of my students. With it, I questioned their assumptions, exposed their errors, and challenged them to think critically. You see, a good teacher doesn't merely tell his students that they're wrong. A good teacher shows his students why they're wrong so they don't make the same mistakes twice. He corrects because he cares. Last year, I was scrolling through social media, and frankly, I was discouraged at all the bad thinking that undergirded much of what I was reading. Then it hit me. What if someone applied the red pen to this flawed thinking? And Red Pen Logic with Mr. B was born. In the last few months, Red Pen Logic has grown in popularity. Through our engaging and shareable educational graphics and videos, we are helping people, especially young people, assess bad thinking by using good thinking. And we have a lot of fun in the process. So here's your homework assignment. Like the Red Pen Logic Facebook page so you don't miss our next graphic. And subscribe at the Red Pen Logic YouTube channel so you don't miss a single video. Class dismissed.
0: All right, back at you here, Greg Kochel. I forgot to give you an update on uh, reality coming up at two and a half weeks here. That would be February twenty-four and twenty-five in Dallas. Uh, we have in the main auditorium one hundred twenty-five seats left. Okay. Oh, wait, is that right? Yeah, that's right. One hundred twenty-five seats left. We're almost to max. Uh, we can hold a little more, about twenty-one hundred people. We got twenty seventy-five. Oh, uh, let's see. if I read this right? 2075 no, we can hold 2200 and there's 400 for overflow and you get a cheaper price you go to overflow but you got to sit in the chapel and watch everything on the screen okay um, so that two and a half weeks and we're virtually sold out in the main auditorium but there's still room for you so if you'd like to go to the Dallas event remember I said it's a fabulous event. Go to realityapologetics.org and sign up, and if you're, like, way out there, would love to attend but can't, you can, what, we do have a live streaming option, so that is all available at the website, the information. Uh, Philly, that's like, what, six and a half or seven weeks out. That's the end of March. Um, we have 775 people signed up. That's two-thirds full, plus a 200 overflow, but that's filling up fast. I'm in mean, seven weeks out, so that's moving along. Even Georgia's uh, starting to we got 60 people in Georgia already. That's in April. So uh, all the information is there at uh, realityapologetics.com, and uh, hope to see you in Dallas or the other cities, whatever you're close to. So I have—I'm uh, going to go you know, out of order here just because Larry from Fremont, California, has called in and has some thoughts about the reparations issue. Larry, thank you so much for calling.
4: Hey, Greg, uh, I am so, so happy to talk to you on this very important issue.
0: Okay. Uh, you're
4: right about a lot of stuff. You're asking some good questions, but there's some really important things you're not factoring in.
5: All right. First
4: of all, it's uh, a red-letter law. We are required as Christians to uh, make reparations to the injured. And uh, I don't have the verses in front of me, but it's all through the Mosaic Law, and all through the prophets,
0: all okay.
4: over the place. Okay, let's just... Hundred, probably hundreds of the verses. Okay, so and let's... I'll, next time I call in, I'll give you the verse. The okay,
0: verse. so we'll just let that lie for the moment. There is a... There is we'll a, let that lie. Okay, but, uh, partly because the details are really important, and the particulars are really important, okay? I agree. And then the, and then the application of the theocracy and rules under the theocracy, as opposed to... Any other country doing any no. other thing—that's another another step. So no. we're just going to let that lie.
4: And, no, not like, talking about theocracy. We're t- I'm talking about basic moral law. Okay. Now this doesn't this doesn't this doesn't change uh, from uh, the, the, the theocratic. No, okay. Well.
0: Well. Well. That's let's just sure. Let's that's, just okay. Let's. That's, uh, that remains point. to be seen. So let's just, we'll just wait. when, when we okay. And you know what? It would be best for you if before you call, this would help me, if you could go to our website and send an email on our website with some of the principal passages that you have in mind. What, so what, I'll, what, have, I'll have a chance have email, to take a look at.
5: Well, okay. Well, hold on just a minute. Why, wait, why?
0: let me tell you why, Larry. Just because. In a complicated. this, I think, is a complicated issue, and if somebody's just firing a lot of verses at me, that's important to have the verses, but it's the kind of thing that I would want to be able to take a look at and ruminate over without giving a shallow response in the air. So I don't this, need a
4: single verse to change your mind, I think. Okay. Um,
0: All I'm okay, saying is when, it would be helpful if I could find out the verses beforehand so I could reflect on it. I
4: mean, it's extremely... Um, I don't want to say deceptive, because I don't think you're doing it intensely, but it's extremely (laughs) misleading when you say it's all ancient history. People my age, your age, were subject to the deprivation of slavery very commonly because you're not factoring in Jim Crow. Jim Crow was another form of slavery Uh where um, black folks were not given... Uh, right uh, compensation for their labor. Uh-huh. Uh, also, you're not factoring in uh, those, t- uh, those times when Black folks successfully gathered wealth under the capitalist system, and it was taken away from them. It was stolen. It was destroyed.
0: Through what? And the
4: dozens.
0: What was that? Dozens where-
4: and dozens of Black communities. That had been uh, destroyed by by racism.
0: Okay, so and, and, uh, let me respond to that quickly. Yeah. Just to be precise, my comment about hatred history was slavery proper, and I did mention Jim Crow, subsequent to slavery, as being a blight of racism on this country, and then I made a very general reference to other things. There is a some discussion about how thoroughgoing racism has influenced a number of things and this is part of the the uh the conversation now. So just to clarify my own comments at that point, I understand that there have been other injustices since slavery ended officially 150 years ago or whatever it is. So um that's the second point. What's your third one? Well
4: we need you you said the thing that right wingers love to say about oh how how great black Sabbath in America compared to Africa. Uh, They're doing so good compared to their their brothers and sisters that weren't taken into slavery and enslaved for 300 years. Uh, You know, there's a sort of a a good point there, but what you're not taking into account is if blacks in America have it better than blacks in Africa, it's what they did. They rose, rose themselves up. It wasn't anything the government did, except in a general sense of that we live in. A, except in certain
0: situations. Okay. Certain, well. Okay. Let me.
4: See, there's sort of a paradox here. Okay,
0: so let, I'll respond to that, and I thank yeah. you for saying there was a there was a, a you know a point to be made there. Uh, I don't know what it has to do with the right wing. love to say this. I have actually never They'd heard love it. To say but that. Let me, let me. Okay. Let me just finish though. I, I never heard any right winger say this. What I'm trying to do. Okay is make an assessment as I look at the circumstances, and it seems to me this is a factor. Now, if what you're saying is they did this all themselves, fine, that's great, I'm glad to hear that, but what they were able to do all by themselves was to succeed in a place that allowed them to succeed even against the oppression that was against them for this time subsequent to the Civil War. So, I mean, uh, yeah, okay, fair enough. I still think that's a benefit to them in the circumstances they're in right now. Maybe you disagree, or maybe you say it matters because they did it themselves. Okay, I'm not saying anybody gave it to them, but they have it, is the point I'm making. Was well, there another? Since, was there in another? a
4: sense, they, this is one of those paradoxes of history, and if, if you read authors like Arnold Toynbee, he, he explains how this works, but in a sense, they, they succeeded because of their oppression their oppression, uh, pressurized them in a way where they had to succeed or they succeed or die. Mm-hmm. And you see this with, uh, what, what they call creative minorities throughout history and the black, black folks are probably the most successful creative minority in history. Mm-hmm. Their black English is the most desired dialect of English. On Earth, hmm. by the way, it is a legitimate dialect. It is not just
0: oh, I'm talking not
4: wrong. Again, as right leaners like to say, mm-hmm. it is uh, Black English is entirely a legitimate dialect. Actually, several dialects, but that gets complicated.
0: Yeah, and I'm, um, I'm not taking an exception with that. Although, does it surprise me that you would say it's the most desired dialect on the planet? I'm not sure how. I've never heard that, but nevertheless, well, it's true. not material to our well,
4: conversation. That, that, it's a little. It would take a little while to explain, but Black English is the most uh, desired form of English on Earth.
0: Okay, let me and ask you a question. a lot
4: of money being made off Black English.
0: Yeah, well, they're not teaching it in schools, so it's, it's surprising to me that you would say that. But I have another question. Well, if what you said is true, let's just go to your fourth point about Twainby. It, this I'm not taking exception either with what you're saying, It could because I think there is a dynamic when sometimes when people are oppressed and pressed hard, and this is not just groups of people that, uh, ethnic groups, but individuals as well, they rise to the occasion and they do great things.
4: And social but, groups.
0: Okay, social groups. But if what you're saying is that because of the oppression, blacks have succeeded, succeeded a lot more, then I don't reparations don't make any sense to me because the point of reparations is that the blacks have been hurt by the oppression and therefore we have to repair that by giving something, and you say, you seem to be saying, a la Toynbee, is that the blacks have benefited tremendously and they're in a much better place now than they would have been had they not been oppressed. Am I misreading you somehow, or does that,
4: well, is that what you're paradox. saying? That's the paradox, because there's a black underclass that is still suffering tremendously, and you can historically you can link it directly to slavery and Jim Crow okay. and the depredations on their culture, on their uh, economic situation. Okay, are, come come directly out of Jim Crow. Okay, but uh, on me, the
0: other hand, Let the me paradox. get real
4: quick to a couple more points. The issue of who pays. Well. To start with the government, because the government has historically failed to protect uh, black people as they should. Now, mm-hmm. after, the, after there was a period of restoration, uh, I forget what it's called, Reconstruction, right, after the Civil War, right, where blacks started to get some of their rights. They became influential. There were black senators, black congressmen. Um, Things were going okay for a very short period of time. But then the government lost interest in protecting black people. Mm-hmm. They uh, let the uh, um, terrorist groups like the KKK right. uh, take over in the South. Uh, and also, also uh, not just uh, covert groups like the KKK, but uh, uh, going down into Jim Crow. Uh, overt political movements like the uh, citizens councils in the south uh, the white which were i think we originally called white citizens councils
0: sure okay let, let, um, me, let me pause here cuz Larry we've talked about this for a bit and I, and i want to i want to move forward i really appreciate what you've said we could talk about whether the government should pay or not the government actually is kind of general. The people are the ones who are actually paying, and that would be all the people. It's a separate issue. Maybe you'll get back to me sometime with the verses. If you can let me know in advance what those verses are so I could take a look at it, that would be helpful. But uh, but I thank you for your call. I thank you for your five points here, and, uh, and I'll chew on what you had to say. So thanks so much, Larry. Got to run to a break right now, and I'll get back to more
3: calls here on Stand to Reason. Stay with us. Would you like a stand-to-reason speaker to speak at your church or event? Greg, Alan, Tim, John, and I, Robbie Lashua, are available both in person and online. Just email booking at to schedule us today. We can address a wide array of topics, from bioethics, gender issues in science, to theology, philosophy, and how to respond to other worldviews, all from a biblical perspective. Whether it's a Sunday sermon, Zoom conference, or YouTube live event, our skilled and engaging speakers can be there, either physically or virtually, with the goal of equipping Christians to effectively influence the culture for Christ. To read our bios and learn more about the topics we cover, visit str.org. Then email booking at str.org to schedule Greg, Alan, Tim, John, or me, Robbie, today. Do you want to become a more knowledgeable Christian ambassador without sitting through a formal course on apologetics? Well, we've made that possible for you through our STR Quick Reference app. Available for free on iTunes and Google Play, the STR Quick Reference app holds a wealth of information summarizing what you need to know on a range of topics. Learn how to defend the faith, see how other worldviews compare to Christianity, and master the biblical view of morality all through short, engaging videos. Before you know it, you'll be well-versed on a number of important apologetics topics. In addition, the Quick Reference app also includes a Bible with text and audio, as well as some featured STR resources, all to enhance your learning experience. The STR Quick Reference app will equip you to engage in thoughtful conversation about the key issues of life from a classical Christian perspective. Visit iTunes or the Google Play Store today and download the STR Quick Reference app. And if you enjoy the app, make sure you give it a five-star review
0: all right let's keep moving along here and uh, Jacksonville Florida am I doing this right yeah Jacksonville Florida that would be Michael hello Mike Michael
5: yeah hi Greg thanks for taking my call
0: you're welcome so what's on your mind
5: called yeah, I have, uh, in reading tactics uh, several times now, mm-hmm. uh, I I noticed that you gave, uh, you wrote in the book about using different words other than our churchy words, and having grown up in church, I'm uh, a preacher's home, I, uh, I use them a lot, uh. and even, you know, just brother to everybody you meet, and I, I'm trying to... Be sensitive to that and change it because I know it's a problem. But a couple of them that uh, you gave, they're really good. I like using trust instead of faith, it's more mm-hmm. precise to me mm-hmm. uh, when I'm talking to people. And, uh, but I was thinking about like um, miracles and uh, providence. Uh, providence is a, most people don't understand. and Yeah, you know, that's a little bit we say that.
0: archaic, right?
5: Yeah. And, um, even glory, you know, we say uh, glory to God. You know, like yeah. what we you talking about. <laughs> can can you give me some suggestions? I know you said write some of your own, but I'm uh, actually I'm struggling a little bit with that. Um, well, if you're if I you're cons-
0: about- if your concern is about the word miracle, okay, if, if that's one that you want to translate, I, I actually don't think the word miracle is that bad. There are certain oh. words that build into the vocabulary, and it just sounds like a Christian noise, a religious noise, to people. But I don't think miracle—my sense is a miracle is is not one of those things. So if we were to say the God worked a miracle, and the miracle was there was a man who was dead at one point in time and was alive at another point in time afterwards, and the reason he did—he was alive after he was dead—is because of something God actually did. So, I mean, I would call that a miracle. I think the, a, the word "miracle" is is fine. Um, I I, I don't—I can't even think of a alternate. But I don't think the word "miracle" has proven. been tainted in the same. Proven? Did you say?
5: What? No, it, you know, for instance, talking to a. Um, uh a professor at uh, the university or uh-huh. if i'm talking who, whoever um and uh, you know you know I would, uh, i've heard the term per natural use or beyond nature
0: oh beyond um, nature oh yeah, it, yeah. yeah. okay i'm it, when we say beyond nature that means not according to the natural course of events um i think that would be um that I mean that would work, but I I don't know if that's going to help. That takes some explanation. We say beyond nature, then something beyond nature happened. Um well that's what a miracle is. I, I you know, if you want to use that, that's fine. I don't think that the word miracle has been corrupted the way other words like faith has been corrupted in common parlance, in the way we commonly use the language. Or if we say blessed or glory or hallelujah or praise the Lord or, you know, Trust in Jesus as Lord and or believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior, and these are all things that have substance to them to the Christian, but to the non-Christian, it kind of falls on deaf ears. But when we talk about a miracle, we're making ref. Well, I guess it depends on how we're using the word. But uh, but if we're using it like as an apologist. In defense of Christianity, making the case for Christianity, then we are talking about an actual event that took place that God is responsible for, that gives evidence t- to some truth about God. That's what we mean by a miracle when we're using the term to describe something that God did. Now, there can be—I you know, I don't deny there can't be miracles, supernatural acts that are associated uh, with the dark side, so to speak you know so uh it's not just that a thing is supernatural but a miracle is something worked by god the way we talk about it and i don't i don't know i i just it it doesn't seem to me that that's one of those words that's hard to understand or is christian rhetoric if we're talking about a particular thing that happened that uh that is an example of god intervening to do something that would not normally take take place I don't think it's a suspension of natural laws. I just think a miracle is where natural law doesn't apply even because it's the it's the creator of natural law so to speak that is himself intervening so I don't know God's glory might be different um, it depends how you say it I, I can't think of a synonym for that but if we if we s- said that it was the magnificence of God, that shown all around the Ark of the Covenant. Okay, it was uh, it was uh, it was called the the Shekinah glory is what what the Scripture calls it, but it was just a magnificent display of wonder. You know, there might be other words that you can use, but I don't think miracles and God's glory are, are two words that are particularly problematic because they're not used very often. You know, as a as just throwaway Christian words. The kind of words that you hear well, from the pastor on Sunday morning, those are the ones that just seem to me grind on people and don't mean so much anymore.
5: Right. I, I, I was thinking about in the, in that context. For instance, if we're talking about the miracle of creation, or the Big Bang, mm-hmm. um, and and you say, well, it was a miracle, and, you know, it gets to be that just so kind oh, of—
0: Oh, I see. You know, okay. You, yeah, you well, I was—
5: they I would probably to disconnect
0: at that point. Uh-huh, right. Okay, I would probably say the act of creation. I wouldn't use the word miracle there. I would just say it was the act of creation or God acted or God created or God you know there was nothing and then there was something. God made the world. So we can use ordinary language to describe that. Now of course people realize I think that well if God's doing it and it's not done according to the, the 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 natural sequence of events which probably the creation of the universe can't be according to the natural sequence of events right. because there was no natural sequence before the creation of the world but in, in any right. event you you have i think you could just you could just say god did it and and not refer to the miracle of creation because creation is an act of god which itself, you know, covers the basis of the meaning of miracle in that case. Yeah, so I, I think that—I'm glad you're sensitive to the words. I, I, I don't think these particular words—miracle or God's glory, for example—are problematic, like faith is, or like receive Christ, or, um, uh, you know, believe in, the Lord, in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I think there's lots of other options we could use to communicate those same notions in a much more effective way. I'm not so when, concerned uh, about miracle or God's glory.
5: When I when I, I you know I work in an vi- environment that is uh, at a university and, oh, okay. um, and you, you get you get shut down immediately with I, I realize that you know the language I use at home and at church and the rest of my life uh, when I'm talking to other people, but it, you know, they just shut down and, and I'm the religious thematic, right. <laughs> and it's my conversation every day. It's not, I'm not any different than I was today before uh. or at home, but also, and I, but I realized that, um, I don't want that to be an obstacle Sure, to them listening to no, me. Good for like, you. And I did, like dis- dismiss me out of hand because you know, you know, I believe in miracles, and uh, I believe God can do stuff. Yeah, uh, they can't. So it's you, you're you're that may, that uh, when I go over there, it made me rethink everything.
0: <laughs> no, well, you know <laughs> what? Here, I, I do. I have a, a suggestion for you, and uh, Michael, and that is this: in your normal conversation, day to day, with your friends, in the church, and everything talk the same way you would talk to non-Christians, okay? Don't have two standards of language. And this is what I've done. I've gotten rid of all that religious language, even when I'm at church. I don't talk that way. And uh, and so it makes it easier. And I think it's easier on the ears of people at church, too, when I just speak normal. Anyway, I, I appreciate your sensitivity to these concerns, though we want to be as winsome and attractive as possible when we communicate the truth. So thanks for the call, Michael. Greg Kokel, for Stand to Reason, go out and give them heaven, my friends. Bye-bye now.